Deb is probably best known for her first novel called A Vow to Cherish, the inspiration for the award-winning film of the same title from Worldwide Pictures. Deb has written more than 40 books and is thoroughly enjoying her career as a novelist and freelance editor. However, her first and most cherished calling is wife to Ken, mother to their four children and Mimi to a baker's dozen of precious grandchildren. Native Kansans, Ken and Deb are transplants to Southeast Missouri where both of their daughters' families live. So if we can just welcome Deb. Good morning. If I stand here, can anybody see the, can you all see it all right? Okay. Can you hear me okay? Uh, no? <laughs> okay, I, I'll try to get up here close. And pray for technology. There we go. <laughs> There's, there, this is my family. Uh, except that this was taken last Christmas, and since then we have gained four new family members. <laughs> because... Oh, technology. Oh, this is, this is everybody's favorite picture every year, so. <laughs> because these two mamas were pregnant last Christmas, and so now we have uh, baby Adler and baby Xander. And then, miracle of miracles, our oldest son, who turned 46 last month, has never been married, wanted to be married all his life, <laughs> so, and there's a, there's a whole story connected to that, and it's a wonderful one, but we also gained another little 14-year-old granddaughter, and we are thrilled. So, anyway, that is my family. Here's our oldest daughter, youngest son, youngest daughter, and you saw our oldest son. And I truly have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And that's what we want to talk about today a little bit, is what, what does it look like to have a spiritual legacy? Let me lay this out first of all. God doesn't have grandchildren. Um, each one of us have to come to the Lord on our own. Um, he, comes, he calls us. And, oh, if I could save my kids, I would. If I, could, I think every one of us as moms would say, if we could do something, we would probably die for our kids. It doesn't work that way. That's not God's plan. But I do believe that we can make it easier for our children to come to the Lord, especially as little children. And a lot of times when little children give their lives to the Lord, they continue to walk with him. And so I want to just have you think today... I don't know if this is going to work. No, it, it's this is Jesse's. Oh, oh, okay. Now I can't go back. <laughs> These were scriptures. I think I have them on here. These are scriptures um, where Paul is talking about Timothy's legacy of faith, and it came from his mother and his grandmother, from Lois and Eunice. So um, Paul and I think we can, you know correlate that Jesus also places a very, very strong value on moms and grandmas and aunts and, um, you know, friends uh, to give that legacy to our children. And so we can be very intentional about the way that we pass that legacy on. 
I want to ask you to think about, oh dear, Danny, I think this is not, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> yeah, there we go, okay. As I was thinking about what I wanted to say this morning, I thought about my own spiritual legacy, and I feel very, very blessed. I can remember as a little girl, my great-grandmother, and this is her right here, um, I can remember her spending the night with us, and she came to bed after I was already in bed, and she was sleeping in the big queen bed with me. And she thought I was asleep, and I played possum, but I heard her whispering her prayers before she went to sleep. And I was probably five or six years old, but that made such a deep impression on me to know that my grandmother fell asleep saying prayers to God, the same God that my mom and dad had taught me about. And I just, I've never ever forgotten that. I had wonderful grandparents. This is my grandmother's daughter, my mom's mom, and then my parents and me as a little girl. And I grew up in a wonderful, warm Christian home. And some of you have that same legacy, and that's wonderful. I do want to say that in, in relation to um, God doesn't have any grandchildren, just because I grew up in a wonderful Christian home doesn't mean that I didn't, at 17, walk away from the Lord for a while and live for a year in complete rebellion, a rebellion that I talk to God about often, like, um, oh, God, I'm going to this party. Will you forgive me in advance because I'm planning to drink and smoke and curse and, um, you know, and so I still had to make that decision for myself. But I will say that watching my parents' faith and watching the way that they live their lives and the way that they put their faith and trust in God is a huge reason that one night I came home and started to pray that same prayer and I knew God was saying, nope, this stops now. You have a decision to make. Are you going to trust me and live for me and make, make me your Lord? Or are you going to continue to walk in your rebellion? And I made that decision for Jesus that night, and I have never looked back, and I have never been sorry. But I know that my own children were vulnerable, too. Um, they could just as easily, even though they were raised in a Christian home, they could just as easily have walked into that rebellion. And for a time, our oldest son did that, and that's, I believe, part of the reason that he didn't get that wish. And we're so grateful that he didn't find his wife until after he had given his life to the Lord and begun to walk with him. But I also want to speak to those of you who are here today and don't have a spiritual legacy um, are, how many of you here were raised in a Christian home? Just a show of hands if you're comfortable doing that. Are there any of you who are, have, were not raised in a Christian home and you're new? Okay, let me say this. You have the awesome privilege of being the first in a long line of Christians. Um, my brother married a young woman who was raised in horrible circumstances and um, lived in a series of foster homes and went through all kinds of abuse. And she met my brother, and my brother was a gift that God had for her. 
And she tells us that she, uh, she's in heaven now, actually. She died of cancer a few years ago. But she had a wonderful life with my brother. And she says what a privilege it was that God allowed her to meet this Christian man and raise their children. And now one of their daughters is a missionary to Thailand. And God began a legacy of faith with her. And she was the first of her generation. So if you didn't have that growing up, please don't think um, that that makes you any less than anyone else. God has his hand on you for a very important reason. And you have something wonderful to offer. You have Jesus to offer to your kids, but also to your grandkids and hopefully their kids and their kids and their kids after. And so um, let's go to the next slide. What spiritual legacy do you want to leave for your kids? If you um, were raised in a Christian home, you're probably taking some notes from your, the way your parents raised you because, after all, look how you turned out. Um, but if not, if you were not raised in a Christian home, you might feel like you're floundering a little bit to know exactly how to do that because it maybe wasn't modeled for you like it could have been. So I want to talk about just at different ages in your children's lives, things that you can do that will help you to leave that legacy for your kids. Let's look at, um, Jesus said, then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. And the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And this scripture must be important because it is found in three of the four gospels. And so I believe that at a very, very young age, you can begin to teach your children about Jesus. And next slide, here are some of the ways that you can do that. This, that's Adler, <laughs> he's a sweetie. <laughs> You can love them and take joy in them. When your babies are tiny, absolutely the most wonderful thing you can do is just shower them with love. Let them know that how much joy they give you. And I know most days it's really hard and they don't always give you joy and sometimes it's all you can do just to get, keep them fed and clothed and, um, and hopefully sleeping a little bit. But, when, when possible, just shower them with love and enjoy them. And keep them safe. That's your number one job as a mom. And sing to them, especially sing the word. Um, babies, um, I, I truly believe that some of my kids said the word hallelujah when they were tiny, tiny babies. Um, the Bible talks about out of the mouths of babes and sucklings come praises to our Lord. So teach them songs. And you know what? Your babies don't care at all if you have a great voice or if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. Sing to them anyway. And smile at them and make them laugh. Um, I, this might be a little controversial, but when the pandemic was happening and the mask mandates were in order, our youngest daughter refused to wear a mask when she was around little children because she said they need to see smiles. And I, I think that is so true. Um, praise God for your children because even your most difficult child is a gift from God. The Bible says that. And I'm here to testify that our most difficult child uh, was our daughter Toby who was born from day one with a strong, strong will. 
and it was one of those, just get through it, just get through it. Um, and day after day, we just got through it. And by the time Toby was 13 or 14, she truly could have lived in her own apartment. Um, at, one, at one point, uh, we were going to get, have to pay a late fee on a bill if we didn't get it paid right away, but payday wasn't for a few days. Toby had a bigger um, savings account than we did because she always spent her money responsibly and usually put it right into savings. So we asked if we could borrow a little bit of money from her savings account. And her reply at 10 years old was, that would be fine, but I would need to charge interest. <laughs> so, so anyway, she is now the mom of three awesome boys. Two of them are teenagers. She's a teacher and a coach. and. Um, she is she is an absolute joy, but it was a long time getting there. It was hard. She she was a great kid, a great citizen. She just didn't need a mom and dad, or didn't think she did. So, anyway, then this comes to my last point: be patient with them. Um, every one of your children, those of you who have multiple kids, will know. It's, it's not a cookie cutter thing. I wish it was because then you'd learn so much the next time. But your second kid is different than your first. The third is different than that. And our fourth child, our, she was our little oops baby. Um, she was a perfect combination of all three of our kids, and, which is a whole different ballgame in trying to raise hers. So, okay, next slide, please. And this is the scripture that I was talking about. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. God loves your babies, and he has a plan for them. I, I was so impacted recently by someone, a young mom, who was bemoaning that her children had to grow up in this awful, awful world that has happened in the last few years. And someone who was in on the conversation with us said, your children were born for such a time as this. And that is so very true. God knew that your children were going to be born into a very difficult world, and he purposely placed them here because he has work for them to do, and he has a mission for them to accomplish. And you, as moms and grandmas and aunts, can help your children to achieve those things that he has already set for them to do. Okay, next slide. Okay, if you're raising toddlers, this is another. My husband and I always said, God made two-year-olds especially cute, and he let them learn to talk just at that age, because you might kill them otherwise. <laughs> because there's just, oh my goodness, it's just exhausting to have a toddler. But it starts to become, um, there starts to be really fun and um, profitable things that you can do raising toddlers. The first thing that Ken and I, we listen to a, a series of sermons on the radio, I think, and this, there was a series about raising children, and we don't remember anything else that was in that series. But the one thing we took to heart was that this pastor said, be extremely strict with your children when they are extremely young. And we put that into practice. We started teaching our 18-month-old that when we said no, we meant no. When we said you need to clean up your toys, if we had to pick them up, put their hand on the toy, and put it in the box, 
we did that because we knew that if we trained our children to be obedient to us when they were little, that would make it that much easier for them to be obedient to God when they were older. And I can't tell you what that, that is absolutely the best piece of parenting advice that I could give you. Um, and it means that even though your toddlers are hard and even though you just finally got to sit on the couch and your toddler's going for the knobs on whatever they're not supposed to bother and you have to get up off the couch for the 15th time and tell them no and put them in timeout or what, however you discipline, it will be worth it because by the time they're three and four and five, they know that when mama says no, and especially if mama starts counting one, two, we, we did a, occasionally did two and a half and two and three quarters, but boy, they knew if we were on the fractions, they better get moving and do what they were told to do. So, and if your kids know that, they feel safe. They, um, they know and they love those boundaries even if they pretend they don't. And then another thing is to teach them who they are in God's eyes. I think our kids today are so confused, and a big reason for that is they don't understand that they were fearfully and wonderfully made. They don't understand that God created them with a purpose. And that's our job, mamas, to let our kids know why they are here, why they were put on this earth. And then teach them everything. They, kids this age are absolute sponges, and they will soak in just about anything you tell them. So be sure that what they're taking in as sponges is good stuff and is God's word and is things that they need to hear and need to learn. And then tie everything that you teach them to your faith. Um, if your child says, Mama, why is the sky blue? Instead of saying, well, it's because there's particles in the air, and that's okay, those scientific answers are good, but really, the sky's blue because God made it blue, because he loves us and he wanted us to enjoy those beautiful blue skies and those white clouds. And talk to your children like that and let them know that everything ties back to the God who created them. Okay, next slide. And this is that scripture that you're all probably familiar with. For you formed my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And even more important, all my days were written in your book and ordained for me before one of them came to be. That is so important that our kids understand that. Okay, next. Okay, if you have school-age children, and, and all of these things follow. I mean, you still want to play with your kids and sing to your kids and all of these things, but as they get older, teach them respect for authority. Now, in this day and age, you know, my parents could teach me that if your teacher says you do this, you do it. If you're, you know, whoever. Nowadays, we have to be a little careful and set boundaries because not all adults can be trusted, and that's really sad to me. But I do think it's important that our kids respect us, respect their grandparents, respect all people, and that we teach them that respect and how to, how to behave toward other people. And again, um, this teaches them respect for God, for whoever is in authority over them. Don't hinder your kids from natural, natural consequences. 
If your child um, lost a library book and gets a fine, don't pay that fine for them. Walk up with them to the desk and pay that fine. Probably library fines are paid online now, I don't know, but um, what, whatever happens, let your child suffer the consequences for that because that's how they learn. And then let them work alongside you. And this was really, really hard for me because I like my house to be just so, and I like my towels folded just so. And when you let your kids fold the towels, they're not going to be just so. <laughs> but you know what? Don't go behind your children who have spent you know, a, a minute or two minutes folding one towel or one washcloth. Don't go behind them and redo that. Um, they need to know that you appreciate what they did just the way they did it because that's what they're capable of right now. And someday they will fold towels the way you taught them to fold them and it'll be a great help to you. Okay, next one. Let them see how your own faith affects your everyday life. Um, and this, this is so easy to do if you just talk to your children, if you just have conversations with them and share, this is why I'm doing that. Um, Mommy, why did you go talk to that lady and give her a hug? Well, honey, because God just prompted me that maybe she was having a bad day. And, you know, just, just tell your kids why you're doing what you're doing and how your faith affects the decisions that you make and the things that you do. Why do we go to church? To learn about God. I mean, all the questions that they ask, and, and as school-age kids, they ask so many questions, and I know it can get exhausting just to try to answer them. But, and then, of course, pray for them. But even more importantly, pray with them. And let prayer be your first line of defense. If they scrape their knee and they run crying to you, instead of running for the Band-Aid, or maybe if they're bleeding bad enough, you need to get the Band-Aid first. But instead of going for the aspirin first or going for the medicine first, just stop and pray. You know, Jesus, you know, Johnny hurt his knee. Would you please be with him and just show him by the way that you're praying, how to pray for himself and how to pray for others. And then um, let your home shout your faith. Reminders to your own family. I'll show you some illustrations. You want to go to the next slide, Danny? Um, this is from Deuteronomy, and I, I love this. It's an excuse to buy home decor. So anyway, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, etc., etc. And then you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the next slide. This is just a few examples of how we have done that in our family. Um, when, when our oldest daughter and her family were building a house, they filled the concrete walls with um, marker, with scripture verses, and those are all covered up now, but every member of the family knows that their house is built on not just a cement foundation, but on God's foundation, on his word. And just the signs that you hang in the house. I, I have memories of some of the little plaques that my grandmother had in her house. And there's a few little poems that I can still quote to this day just because sometimes I would lay in bed and just look at that. And, you know, so think about what your house looks like and what, how does your house show even visitors that come into your home what you believe and what is important to you. So, uh, next one. 
and these are just some other little things. Here's our granddaughter, Nora. She has on the full armor of God. And there, you know, you can buy little kits that are those, but you, it'd be even more fun if you just made that with your children. Um, this is my four kids and all their cousins on my side of the family. And there were just enough of us to do a nativity the year that the youngest was a tiny baby. And um, it's something that they'll never forget. And we, usually our family posts this picture every Christmas just as a reminder. But it's something that that was how we celebrated Christmas. I'm not even sure I have, and not that there's anything wrong, but I don't even think I have any pictures of my kids sitting on Santa Claus's lap because most of what we did for Christmas was built around this kind of thing. So, okay, next slide. Okay, teenagers, how many of you in here have teenagers yet? A few of you, oh, more than I thought, okay. How am I doing on time? Okay. I'll go over this pretty quickly. Um, and teenagers, I have to tell you that I could hardly wait to have babies. I wanted 12 kids, which is a long story in itself, but by the time we had three, it seemed like 12 and I thought I was done. God blessed us with a, a little oops baby when our older kids were 14 and 10 and 8. Um, but I did not want my kids to grow up. I did not look forward to the teenagers, partly because of the kind of teenager I had been for that bad year of my life. Um, but I have to tell you, 10 to 13 was really challenging with our kids, but by the time they were 13, we absolutely loved them. They were so much fun. And they, were, they each were getting their personalities, and they made us laugh all the time. Um, don't, if you're dreading being parents of teenagers, don't, because it can be pure joy. Um, it's not for everybody, and there will probably be some challenges, and our kids were not perfect, but they were a lot of fun. Um, so here are some of the things that I would suggest as you're parenting teenagers. Give them clear boundaries. Kids, no matter what their age, no matter how they seem to be faunching at the bit, they like to know what the boundaries are, and you're the one to set them. Um, give them good examples to follow. and. Um, show them what a good marriage looks like. Now, maybe we don't, maybe there's some single moms in here. Maybe there's a mom in here that her marriage isn't what she's hoping for for her kids. But that doesn't mean that you can't still show your children what a good marriage looks like. Um, let them um, play at the homes of someone whose marriage you admire. Um, send them to your parents' house if your, your parents have a good marriage. Put them in situations so that they will have a chance to see what a good marriage looks like. And don't be afraid to tell them that you're disappointed that you don't have the kind of marriage that you wanted. Of course, you want to be respectful to your husband in doing that, but um, our kids are watching us very closely, and they're learning what a good marriage looks like or maybe what a not-so-good marriage looks like. Let them see you spend time in the Word pray for good friends. Ken and I always prayed for at least one good friends, friend for our kids to walk through their school years with. And also, I can remember a time when our oldest son had a really good friend, and we noticed that he was kind of pulling away from that friend, and that just made me so sad because they'd been friends all through elementary school. And so I started trying to encourage him to invite that kid over and 
you know, do some things with him. But I found out later that that kid was going through a rebellion, and our son was pulling away trying to avoid that. So be super aware of when your teenagers start to uh, change their friends. It might be a sign that they are headed into rebellion, but it might be a sign that they're trying to avoid that and find other groups of friends. Um, prepare them for what life will throw at them. I know that as moms, we, we want so badly to protect our kids from anything that could hurt them. But sometimes, I know in my own life, God uses the really, really difficult things that we go through to make us more compassionate, to make us, to maybe give us a ministry toward, toward other people who have gone through that same thing. Um, teach them how to disagree pleasantly. Your kids should be able to um, argue their case, but do it respectfully and be pleasant about it. And then be real and model integrity. I'm here to tell you that you cannot fool your teenager about who you really are. Um, the you, I, I remember Billy Graham's children, one of the things that they said at their mother's funeral was that who you saw was who you got. And I believe they said that about Billy Graham as well. Um, but your kids know the real you. And you know, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna have a temper tantrum. You're, I mean, I certainly have had my share of times that I'm not proud of the way that I behaved around my kids. And thank the Lord, children are very, very forgiving about those things. But don't be afraid to apologize when you make a mistake. Um, what's the next slide? And then for all ages, pray with them, play with them, make time for deep conversation. Um, there was a time in our children's lives when our oldest son was about four and then all along as the other kids came along, but we did not have a TV in our house. And I have to say that is the best thing we ever did for our kids. Because when you don't have a TV, it's boring. And so you start finding ways to entertain yourself. And so we became a family that loves board games and loves sports and loves um, putting jigsaw puzzles together. And we still do those things together as a family. Those things would not have happened if we had had a TV in our house. And I will preface that by saying that Ken and I both were kind of addicted to the TV. So it was, it was our problem. You may not have that problem. You may, and, and in late, our later years, we have been able to use the TV more responsibly. But um, the, the day that I found myself, my little four-year-old son, says, Mommy, I'm thirsty. And I'm saying, well, get a chair, pull it up to the sink, get a glass out of the cupboard. And it's because I'm over here watching TV and I was too lazy to help my four-year-old son get a drink of water. That's when we knew that, okay, it's time to get rid of that thing. So um, conversations can happen around the dinner table. Um, I think it's awesome. It doesn't always work, and especially as your kids get older and are going different directions. Um, it might be hard to um, sit around the dinner table, but if you can possibly have one meal a day uh, all together, that's awesome. If not, one meal a week would be great. One-on-one. Um, -on -one. I used to, the kids would take turns going to get groceries with me, and that gave me one-on-one -on -one time with each one of the kids about once a month, and that was a really, really good thing. Partly because when you, especially when they're teenagers, get them in a car and it's dark coming home, and all of a sudden they start talking, and that's when the great conversations happen. 
And then after church or Sunday school, um, ask your child, you know, what did you learn in Sunday school today? Or what did, for older kids, what did you think about the sermon? What did you think when, you know, uh, guide the conversation in that way? Okay. Uh, read the Bible to and with them. Let them see you reading the word. Teach them God's truth. And teach them this. It is not relative. God's truth is true. It is the only truth. And there's no truth that the world has unless it's based on God's truth that is right or good. Um, train them up in the way that they should go, but don't be harsh or legalistic. Because I was a rebellious teenager, I tended to be suspicious of my kids and a little harsh with them and not letting them do things that they wanted to do when they had given me no reason to doubt that, you know, their integrity or their, um, their faith even. So uh, be careful that you're not putting your own fears of, of what you were on them. And then be intentional but also let spiritual training happen naturally. It, it does happen naturally. By you living your life for the Lord, you are showing your children and immersing them in what it looks like to live for the Lord. And then above all, pray for them. Again, pray for protection, pray for wisdom and discernment, for physical and mental health. Pray that God will lead and guide them and that they will follow him and then pray that early on they will make a decision for Jesus Christ. And that will make you be able to say, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Let's close in prayer. Father, there are so many mamas here, so many children represented, and we know that you love everyone. Every one of them, no matter how difficult, Lord, was a gift from you. And I just pray that we would be able to view our kids as such, that we would take as much delight and joy in them as you do, that we would be good parents, that we would be a good example to our kids, that we would realize, Lord, that there's only one chance to do this. And we just pray, Father, that... Uh, you would be with us as we go out now, that we could take great delight in being your child. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.